Welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 32, Learning Python Through Twilio Quest. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Perez, and I'm a teacher who codes. Yeah, and we're joined this week by Kevin Winery from Twilio. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice. Well, we're going to talk about this new new program called Twilio Quest that we use for learning Python and learning quite a few other things. Also, it looks uh, pretty amazing, and it's a, quite a different way to to learn some programming concepts. And Kevin is one of the, I guess, the main contributor to the program. Is that right, Kevin? Yes, yes, it is. I, I created the first really crappy version of Twilio Quest uh, way back in 2013. I mean, it's undergone a few revisions, but yeah, the the current version that's out there. Yeah, very much has sprung from my fingertips in the last six to nine months or so. So, yep, it's, it's definitely been really fun to work on. Excellent. Well, it's been a lot of fun to play, too. So we're going to have yeah. a little bit deeper conversation about how Twilio Quest came about. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the learning methods in here and some of the things that you've seen with this gamification approach to learning Python, computer science, and web services. So but before we get started with that, we're going to start the same place we always do, which is the win of the week. And Kevin, we always make the guest go first with the win of the week. So something good that's happened inside or outside of the classroom or cubicle or office environment, <laughs> wherever it happened is good, but just something that kicks us off on a positive note. Yeah, totally. So I, I was actually recently um, on a campus recruiting trip with Trulia. We go to college campuses all over all over the country. So I was at uh, Florida A&M uh, University last week. And, and whenever I get to see people play Twilio Quest live, it's always a lot of fun. And we'll, I'm sure, get into this in the conversation. But part of the reason why I built Twilio Quest and the reason it is the way it is, is because I've always kind of felt like teaching uh, code and technology generally is like harder than it needs to be and sucks some of the joy and the fun out of that process. And whenever I can see folks, uh, you know, having a good time learning how to code, um, it's always always pretty fun. So we did a small event there at the university campus. I watched some people play Twilio Quest with lots of smiling faces and gave away some prizes. And that was the, the win of the last week for me. Nice. That does sound like a lot of fun. It was. Kelly, how about, how about you next? Go ahead. I'm sitting here trying to think of so many good wins of the week. I, I have to say that... I'm going to have to say Tinker this week because it's been a, a great win. I've seen some of my kids. We use Tinker at school. Tinker's like our our homework, our support at home activity that we have a lot of our students working through. And I don't know if it's the group of the kids or the time of the year, but I've been seeing a lot of progress and a lot of aha moments. And today... Maybe I taught it differently. I'm not quite sure. But today we were talking about um, while true loops and in, in Tinker, it is while you have not reached the goal, correct? And the kids were just all of a sudden something clicked. And usually that click doesn't happen to the fifth or sixth week. And the sixth graders today went, oh, I get it while they haven't got the pot of gold and I was like oh my god finally what did I say <laughs> write that down so it was a great one of the week just to have a 10 year old finally get it in the third week of school so yeah well finally get it like so they're two weeks ahead of schedule right? they're two weeks ahead of schedule but I meant finally for me I don't know I have to remember what I said but it was good it was a good win and you missed it. <laughs> I know. I was out of the out of the classroom doing something else, and, and this was all happening while I was gone. 
So something that I thought that was really great this week that was a big win was actually Kelly's win. But we f- published our first blog post on the Teaching Python website. So Kelly had written a blog post months ago and it's been Years. sitting in my inbox. <laughs> no, 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 I'm <laughs> yeah. just kidding. A couple of months. <laughs> it's, it's been sitting in my inbox waiting for a review and editing and publishing. And, and so I actually got to it this weekend and kind of made it our goal that we're going to start publishing more blog posts on Teaching Python. So for those people who are more textual in nature, like they like to to read their content, we're going to start offering more of that. So I'm working on some pieces of my own. Kelly's got her next, I think, like seven different <laughs> ideas ready to go. But now we actually have a blog on Teaching Python. So if you go to teachingpython.fm, it's uh, pretty easily accessible. And we're shooting for one every couple weeks to come out and just uh, go a little bit deeper on some of these concepts for teaching and, and teaching computer science. Yeah, that's exciting. I don't have to write another one for another week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got a little, little bit of time. So, so Kevin, we are super excited to have you on. We we first learned about Twilio Quest not in 2013 when it first came out because Kelly and I have only been teaching computer science for about a year and a half now. But we reached out to one of your colleagues about something totally different related to p- teaching Python. And he said, oh, you need to talk to Kevin because Kevin's got this great game and now it's got Python in it. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about like kind of where you're coming from. How did you learn uh, programming? What kind of work do you do? You're not a teacher. You're a, a developer, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely a developer by uh, trade, but I come from a uh, long line of educators. Education is kind of the family business, but I kind of now, I guess, go about it in a different way. But yeah, I, I started programming in uh, a little bit in high school and then into college. I never really thought it was going to end up being a career. I just kind of enjoyed messing around with code and making little things. But I ended up with a programming job right out of uh, college. And instead of doing something else, my life kind of took a different uh, turn from there. I've been working for Twilio now for the past uh, almost eight years. It'll be eight years uh, just in a couple weeks, uh, which is definitely the longest I've ever worked anywhere. And in that time, I've been uh, a developer evangelist. So I go go to developer events and uh, talk to folks and make sure that they uh, are taken care of at the events and also talk a little bit about Twilio. And then I managed a team that we call Developer Education, uh, which manages our uh, developer documentation on Twilio.com. And uh, also then got to spend a year working with Twilio.org, which is a part of Twilio that works exclusively with nonprofits to help them use their technology in the in the work that they do. And then for the last uh, few years, I've come back to the developer education team and I've been working on Twilio Quest, which is kind of the core of our developer training program. So it's for many years, and that's what I was kind of referencing when I was talking about you know, 2013, uh, we used a, a much smaller kind of lighter weight version of what we have with Twilio Quest today to teach developers how to use like the Twilio API. So we would use it at our live training events where professional software developers typically would come and want to learn how to send text messages or make voice calls, which is what the Twilio API, oh, those are two of the most common things you could do with the, with the Twilio API. And so, I, so just yeah. to, I'm going to interrupt for a second because Please. like many of our audience may be teachers that aren't necessarily professional developers or haven't used Twilio oh, before. Excellent. Can you give us like the, the two or three sentence version of what is Twilio and yes, why should we care? Because I think a lot of people have used Twilio and don't even know it. And that was the question I asked. I asked. So we, I know that because I was just like going, what is API voice called Twilio? That, I you know. know. That's, I apologize <laughs> Back up for, for people like me. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I uh, definitely should have should have started there. No, it's okay. <laughs> but but yeah, so so Twilio as a business, is it's a little bit funny in that like uh, our customers are developers. So the product that we make 
is, is something called an API, which is an application programming interface. And uh, our customers will access that API over the internet um, by making HTTP requests to like Twilio's servers. And those uh, are our service that we provide to developers is to allow them to like build communications into the applications that they're building. So one example that you might have used would be like uh, Airbnb. I don't know if you stayed at Airbnb before. You can actually communicate with the host through a telephone number. You can send text messages to the host or you can call the host through this telephone number. But that telephone number isn't actually their cell phone number because that would be a bad thing. That telephone number is actually a Twilio-powered phone number and the software developers behind Airbnb uh, use Twilio to create like this anonymous phone number that you can use to communicate with your host. So it kind of proxies the host's phone with your mobile phone. And that's one use case. Or like if you've used the Uber or Lyft app on your phone and you receive a text message uh, saying like your cab is out front or you receive a call from your driver because they can't find you on the corner that they think that you should be picked up from though the developers of Uber have used like Twilio's communications APIs and infrastructure to add those communications features into their apps. So, um, so yeah, those are just a couple examples of what Twilio would be used for. So, if Amazon Web Services is like compute services for building websites, Twilio provides communication services that developers can use to build like communication stuff into their apps. This may sound like an ignorant question, and I apologize, but in the API and the, the communication that goes back, how is what is that programmed by? What is that powered by? Is that a whole bunch of different code? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So if you've done kind of any programming before, you've definitely used APIs. Like if you code in Python, you can import a system library to parse arguments that come into your applications or to print stuff out to the console. So Twilio provides Python classes that help like sort of provide a layer that makes it easy to talk to Twilio. But what's happening behind the scenes is like, say you're writing a Python program that you want to send a text message via Twilio. You will make like an HTTP request to Twilio's server. In Python, there's a very popular library called requests, say. And you would maybe make an authenticated HTTP request to Twilio's server that says, hey, Twilio, I would like to send this text message to this phone number from this Twilio phone number that I own, which is a, a thing you can do in the Twilio console. Um, and then here's my like username and password for the Twilio API. And then you send that as a request to Twilio. And then Twilio receives that request, validates that it's you, and then sends that text message on your behalf. And then it responds to your HTTP request with some data in say a JSON format, which says like, yes, congratulations. We just sent that text message for you. So. The API in that case is, is what's called a RESTful API. So you can make those HTTP requests and then receive responses from Twilio. So the interface to your, to, from your code to Twilio is over, over the network versus like being fully local in your own code. Does that kind of help? Or? That you actually passed the test. I understand. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what's interesting about this, and this was kind of the, the light bulb moment for me when I saw Twilio Quest is like, well, so why Twilio Quest? Right. And, and the, the short answer is, is more than just the altruistic, like let's help people how to, 
help people learn how to code, your growth with Twilio as an API hinges on developers knowing how to use Twilio. So if you can teach them, here's all the different interfaces that we provide, here's all the different services, here's how to use them, and do that in a fun way that's easy for them to understand and grasp, suddenly you've built your base of available customers that now are familiar with Twilio's services and APIs and how to access and call everything. Like That just helps grow your business as well as helping all these developers get a little bit better at coding. Yeah, totally. And I think you've kind of grasped what is thankfully a virtuous cycle. Like the Twilio Quest, we, what we really are trying to do, like the focus every day is like make more people into developers. And that's kind of what we are primarily focused on. Um, we definitely use Twilio Quest still to teach our existing customers how to use the, the Twilio API. But what we're really focused on is trying to make code more accessible. And that's kind of like where we're going with Twilio Quest as a as a game. But the but yeah, that that helps the business because the more developers that exist in the world, the bigger our potential customer base is. And if they know what a Twilio is, because Twilio is not exactly a, a household name, it's not a Google or Facebook or something along those lines. The more folks that have at least been exposed to Twilio at some point in their learning journey, even while they're in a boot camp or in college, or maybe they're even maybe they're even earlier in their career than that. The Really, the only hope that we have is like Twilio sort of is as a tool sort of put in the tool belt of developers. And then a day will come at some point in the future. And this is usually how our evangelism program works is we expose people to Twilio, but we're not like salespeople. We just like say, all right, here's Twilio. This is what it does. And then usually like six months or nine months or even more time in the future, somebody will encounter a problem that's like, oh, right. If I want to send like a text message notification when this business process happens, like I know how to do that. Like I have a tool I can pull out of my belt and do that. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that that's not a hard problem either, right? It's not like, oh, I have to go code my own interface to the telephone networks to be able to send a text message or anything like that. I can just use Twilio's API to do that. And so when my manager or my boss or a product manager comes to me and says, hey, I want to send text messages, how long will that take? You can actually have a realistic estimate for, yeah, I know how to do that. And I've been, I've had some training on it and some education. And I know that it's something that's even possible, right, to do versus before where maybe they just weren't even aware of what was available. Yeah, and I think like especially when you're talking about stuff that is pretty arcane, like interfacing with the phone, like the carrier networks and things like that. That's that stuff is definitely not fun. It's definitely much more fun to write like a few lines of Python code that use Twilio's infrastructure that is just magical and you don't have to worry about like how it actually works and you just get get the nice text message sent out on your behalf. So yeah, that is that is definitely the Cool. So. Yeah. And that's what we've used with students in our classroom too, right? So there's there's a certain amount of how do we get them excited and engaged in what coding can do for them. And so when we teach web services, it's a lot more fun to teach something like, hey, you can send text messages or you can handle phone calls or use um, communication services with with this web interface or this web API then it is to say, okay, look, here's another weather service update, right? Where we're going to go <laughs> scrape some some weather data yeah. as JSON and process through it, right? Yeah, and I like I like the idea being able to tell them now now that I understand a little bit about Twilio, being able to tell them things like Airbnb and Uber. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to know that there's this service that's going on in the background that's sending those texts instead of like a, a kid saying, thinking that it's coming from a phone or a message and, and it's just going straight from phone to phone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the uh, what has been fun for like, yeah, for 
folks that are early in their career still learning code is that it's something that with a very small amount of code and effort, like you can actually make something interesting happen in the real world. You can make your phone buzz by making this API request. Um, and yeah, that, that part is, is usually instantly engaging. So like when we are working with folks there earlier on, that is usually an exciting thing to be able to have a practical application. There. Well, Twilio Quest has actually um, taught me a, one thing that I've never even used before in my classroom. It's the system sys.argv. Yep, so ah, you're yes. getting your <laughs> command line arguments. I'm like, yeah. what the heck is this thing? Oh, I forgot to import system. What does that do? And I, and so that was, it was, uh, it's been an enlightening experience. <laughs> so what, and then we should, I guess, jump into what is Twilio Quest. So now that we know what Twilio is, right? Mm-hmm. How would you describe Twilio Quest? Like, I mean, I think from what I can tell, it seems like you may have been influenced by some of the same things that I was influenced <laughs> by in my in my misspent youth. Yes, um, and misspent youth is the best way to describe it. It was a, a constant catchphrase of my uh, grandfather, actually. But the, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely, I sort of, you know, I was starting kind of way at the beginning. I was sort of tasked as one of my first things that I was asked to do at Twilio to create like a live training program for developers. And I had done live training before in kind of the ways that I had always been taught, which is like first you do some PowerPoint, then you do some like code, hands-on code things, then you do some more PowerPoint and then some more hands-on code things. And the primary beef that I had with that is it seemed like it was never the right pace for any for any you know portion of the classroom. Like I was either going too fast for some folks or not fast enough for certain other folks that wanted to like go further and do more. So uh, I thought like, well, how can I like make a training experience that, you know, for folks that just want, just are able to get through the first couple learning objectives we have, like they can do that and that's okay. And for those that are a little more advanced, like we can challenge them and like, how can we sort of differentiate the experience for different ability levels of people in the room? And the metaphor of, and again, probably just because I'm a dork, like the metaphor of a role-playing game seemed to kind of make sense. Like people can kind of level up at different paces where like if people level up more slowly over the course of an eight-hour training session, that's fine. If somebody else is able to like power level in that same eight hours, like that's great. We should be able to empower both kinds of uh, experiences. Uh, so the first version of Twilio Quest was just kind of a web page that like had learning objectives on them. And as you completed them, you acquired experience points and loot that you could kind of equip on a virtual avatar. And it accomplished the objective of helping me differentiate like in a, in like a classroom training environment. But what I thought was just kind of a fun throwaway feature ended up being like way more powerful than I thought it was going to be, which is like the fake internet points and like the the items and stuff that you collect were a very powerful motivator, like far beyond what I thought I thought they were going to be going in. Like I thought it would just be kind of a fun thing to have, but people would stay later and they would email me later on and say like, I completed this objective. Like, can you give me the points so I can get like the helmet or yeah. whatever? Um, and I was like, wow, of course. Yeah, that's great. So like what we discovered is like these like gameplay mechanics could really help motivate folks. And the further that we pushed along that axis in Twilio Quest 3, which is kind of a full-fledged PC role-playing game where you're actually controlling a character in a 2D environment, the the data point that I was most excited by is like at uh, our, we do like an annual training, like a training day at Twilio's big like annual developer conference. And two years ago, 
the average attendee of that event like completed about seven or eight uh, learning objectives throughout the day within Twilio Quest. And then when we, like last year, this last year in August was the first time we used Twilio Quest 3. And in the same amount of time, people completed twice as wow. many learning objectives. And I think there's, there's a variety of reasons feeding into that, I think. But just providing the, providing the, you know, a clear direction of like, this is what's next. Like you started here, like you can walk in this direction and this is the next thing. Like being, being able to very explicitly lay out the journey for folks, I think has been powerful as well as like being on their desktop. That means like you can help configure their development environment. You can check to make sure stuff is there. Um, and there's a lot of power in running on the desktop that we didn't have in the browser when we're helping people kind of get their development environment set up. And things yeah, like that was one of the things that we really liked about it. In fact, we had a uh, alumni from our school come back, and he's now, I think, a sophomore or a junior at MIT in their computer science program. And I was like, hey, have you seen this yet? And he's he's like, no, no, what is this? And I said, check it out. Just just I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Just explore and see what you come up with. And he starts looking into it, and I could see the moment where he just like leaned forward into the computer. He's like, this is awesome. Because that desktop integration lets you configure things that you're going to need to do true development. Like a lot of our students, you know, their first experience writing Python code might be in a Google Colab notebook or on like the Mu editor, which are fantastic for teaching concepts and getting Absolutely. people going. But for building real applications, they're going to need to install the Python interpreter. And they're going to need to have a source code editor. Absolutely. And they're going to need all these things that Twilio Quest steps them through in like kind of easy to digest chunks with the walkthroughs that tell them how to do it. And that can be really powerful for that next project that they want to work on. Yeah. And I, I am, I'm not sure if you've heard of Cano, Cano Computer Computing. I don't know if I, I have, no. So I we'll put it in our show notes. But yeah. Cano kind of did the same thing, but at a child level. So I, we used to play with Cano and it had Python, JavaScript, Terminal, but the answers weren't really, I mean, weren't challenging for an adult. Sometimes, sometimes, right? For me, it, I, I liked it. I did it. But as I'm going through Twilio, and I love Cano, please, I didn't say that as a negative. But as I was going through Twilio, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to do this. And I, I was like, don't, don't do the, don't do the, uh, the cheats. Well, you, you're trying not to do the walkthrough where it was telling <laughs> you all the details. The I'm like, don't cheat, don't cheat. And I, and it's a, it's a good challenge. I was, I was working through the mysteries of the Pythonic temple. <laughs> and I've got pretty far on that. And it's, it, it's neat how it's a bite size and it, it goes through the process. So I was enjoying, I'm enjoying myself. I said, I shouldn't say I'm finished cause I'm still going through it. How many more yeah. requests after, after nine, after I get all the pieces of paper? <laughs> yeah, no, there's uh, I, I think you're, I think there's about like 15 some odd objectives in that room. So okay, uh, I'm halfway there. <laughs> so it looks like you've made some excellent progress. But yeah, I mean, I, I think like part of the different, like the part of the thing that I've been pretty concerned about uh, doing at least a little differently is that the like the work that you do in Twilio Quest is very directly related to like real world programming skills. And I think like the, the browser-based tools and all the universe of resources that's already out there are awesome at teaching concepts and like taking some of the setup stuff like out of the equation. Um, and just focusing on like, this is what a loop is. And this is kind of, and, and those are actually really great tools for that purpose. I think one thing I hope that Twilio Quest players ultimately walk away with is like a tool set of like a professional software developer. Like I know how to use a terminal. I know how to use a text editor. I know like 
a variety of things that I would need to know. And I think like that's really what's next for us content-wise, because as we've been doing kind of user testing with certain audiences, folks that had done like a tiny bit of programming tended to make more progress through like the Python mission as it exists today. But then we just start to discover like I, I've been a professional programmer for a few years, but you just discover like there's just layers of prerequisite knowledge that you just don't fully appreciate until you watch someone uh, play through the experience where it's like, what even is a terminal? Like, what's an environment variable? Like, there, there's just the, you know, I think a level of computer literacy that you need. And that's what we're working on right now. Like, we're working on computer literacy for developers as like kind of a next sort of almost prerequisite to what we have in the Python mission right now. Yeah, so my my head's spinning right now thinking of of the kids and all these skills as as they're progressing out of school and into college. And one of the skills that we see them dropping a lot and I notice going through Twilio, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's the file arrangement and, you know, naming files specifically and being able it sounds silly, but naming the file exactly how Twilio needs it to be named in order to I guess call back or test the code that I'm 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 writing in and just thinking about our students they don't really use that file saving function they put everything up in Google and they they title it copy of copy of copy of untitled document and you're just like sure. what <laughs> And oh, these totally. are skills. Yeah, these are skills that we're. I'm constantly thinking that it's it's going to be a do or die situation when they get into some sort of development world of how do I organize myself better on my laptop, um, and so that's what yeah. my brain does when I'm playing this game. It it was pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting thinking about it. Yeah, and, and that's like in that layer of knowledge, right? Like even the file system, like is a pretty abstract concept when you start kind of thinking about it. So that's something that then becomes incumbent upon us to equip people to understand. So. Right. Right. And that's where I think Toyo Quest really does a great job of, you know, it lets you move at your own pace. It provides a lot of good detail. I mean, I think it might help us just to kind of set the stage for what Toyo Quest is and how it works. Cause there's so it's, it's not just a website that you go to. It's it's a full-fledged game that there's a narrative, there's a story to it. There's a reason for doing this that engages people. So it, you know, it reminds me of like a, it's a retro 16-bit RPG, right? With the pixels, the chunky graphics, all of those things. It has kind of its its retro charm now. And you start off what as a as a crash-landed astronaut, right? With a ship yeah. that's broken and a robot <laughs> that's helping you through it, right? Kind of a kind of a classic RPG setup, right? But in order to to repair your ship and put things back together, you've got to solve programming challenges, right? There's in some some levels, there's different levels that you can go through and each level represents a package of content that's related. So the mysteries of the Pythonic temple, you're out there trying to solve these or find these notes left behind by the famous explorer Toledo Van Possum, which I just <laughs> made me laugh out loud when it first came up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm easily amused and it, it made it a lot of fun to get started. And it also gave me a great reason to talk to the students because I, I started students on this also. I said, like, let's try this together. Together. Tell me what you think. And some of them thought this was the greatest thing ever. Others were like, this is a little too nerdy for me. I'm not ready for it yet, um, but mm, we'll keep working on them. But but this idea of it was something it was something different. It was a fun way to get into um, these different concepts. And what I like about it is that there you've 
got everything packaged really nicely. There's a Mysteries of the Pythonic Temple. There's an equivalent kind of JavaScript fundamentals that you can get started with. There's levels that are packaged with all the information about working with the Twilio messaging API and one that's Twilio voice and another one for, I really liked the, the flame of open source, the level that's all about how to use Git to contribute to open source projects online. I think that's a, a fantastic skill that sometimes we struggle to teach in computer science classrooms is how do you actually contribute to projects, whether they're open source or private. It's something that we struggle to teach sometimes. And there's this great level that you can go through that ends with you making your own pull request to a public GitHub repository um, for an open source project, which is really cool. Yeah, we were and we were actually we were talking we were, we were talking to Dan Bader and we were talking, I was telling him as a, a person who's relatively new to coding, a lot of websites, they, they push you to Git and GitHub and you're trying to make pull requests and you don't really even understand what you're, you're typing in the, the editor and you're trying to get other code and use libraries and you go into this, for me, it looks like a mess still of trying to find what's the file that we're going to use. And I'm really excited to, to be able to get into the flame of open source and learn <laughs> learn some more yeah. because it's one of those things that it's hard to it's hard to teach. Yeah, it, it is, and, and like the that that one is just like Git itself. If you know, even you know, professional programmers that use it every day like still make an average of like five major mistakes using Git like every single day. Like I get stuff into a bad state all the time, so it's just it's a hard tool to use it's very powerful but it is you know it can be tricky so yeah so the well one of the things that you know again being on the desktop lets us do is like we can you know troubleshoot lots of different potential like error conditions where like you have a local git project like cloned which is uh the term for like what happens when you create your own local copy of the source code on a computer so you've cloned that repository and uh, what you first need to do is create something called a branch, which is like a, you know, a fork of that. No, no fork actually means something else in Git world. But of, like, course, of course uh, it doesn't get, right? <laughs> but it's like a, a version of the code that has some new special feature that you're going to add. Uh, and because our code, our validation code is running on your computer, we can see like, well, did you check out the repository? Like number, that's like step number one. And if you didn't, we can display like a helpware message that says, oh, it looks like we haven't checked out the repository yet. If we need you to create a branch next, then we can inspect your local repository, look at the Git configuration that we know how to sort of parse out and say like, oh, it looks like you haven't created a branch yet or like the, this branch already exists or like we, we, it, it gives us the ability to provide like really granular feedback that we couldn't do in the, you know, in the browser necessarily. So that's... I noticed that the first time I make a, an error, they don't really help me. And and then the second time I make an error in the game of Twilio Quest, I get a little bit more information. Is that did you have that leveling? You had that leveling, or is it not just me making that up? When I was going through the Pythonic Temple, well, we we try to like fail fast, like so, like we okay. try to like start with the most basic thing of like, does the file exist? And then like, if it doesn't exist, we try to like be helpful about that. We don't always succeed, of course, but like we try to provide as granular uh, feedback at each step and not provide like a giant blob of like computer 
readable only text. Like if you get an error, a syntax error in programming or some kind of compiled error, it's usually not formatted in a way that humans um, can easily digest. So like we try to like anticipate those errors and and as best as we can, like in plain English, try to explain what's going on. Well, it's one of those things that we're constantly teaching with the with the kids in, in the classroom. So now it's something that's always on my my forefront when I'm coding. Did you read the error? What did it say? And so it's mm. it's another one of those features that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the community response to this? I mean, you, you've taken it around to universities. I mean, from the, the level that this is at, I mean, I think we're kind of on the early edges of the, the age range for Twilio Quest in middle school. But high school, university, professional developers, you've talked about some of the classroom settings where you've taught it. You know, anything that's come out that's been like, wow, this has been a really surprising or interesting use of Twilio Quest or feedback that you've gotten? Yeah, I mean, I think with the previous version of Twilio Quest and with this version of Twilio Quest as well, like one of the surprising things that we've seen is like, especially like the the bootcamp audience of folks that are, you know, were in a in a different profession and have have come later on in their lives to programming for various reasons and are trying to kind of retool. Like the Twilio Quest has been uh, really sort of, you know, it's been consumed a lot in that audience and it seemed like they have really enjoyed it uh, as like a approachable uh, introduction to programming concepts for there's been a lot of folks like their first api that they used was twilio because they found twilio quest and like it was kind of a fun way to learn about it i think like the what what's been cool to see with younger audiences like college and high school and even some middle schoolers although middle like middle school is kind of pushing the envelope with the current iteration of twilio quest in terms of accessibility the, the thing that's been really cool is like, I'd say 80% of the kids who have tried it, and I say kids, but like college and high school aged uh, students don't require training about like how to navigate this experience because they've encountered video games before. They kind of understand like, oh, I walk down this hallway. I talk to these people. Like this is a thing that they just kind of intuitively understand how to do. And that's like a big part of why we're doing things the way we're doing things is because they already know how to make progress forward through this environment. So we don't have to teach them how to do that. So, and because it's like a clear, like I see a goal and I need to walk over to it or I need to go forward and do it. Like that has been, I think like why we've seen so much more content being consumed through this version of Toyota Quest than we had before. The other edge of that sword, though, is that there are there is a certain audience for whom, like, I don't really do video games. I don't understand how this works. And I think there's more that we need to do to make the UX completely obvious to folks that don't have that sort of innate understanding of how this works. Like uh, the, cl- the classic example that I always like, it breaks my heart when I see it and we have to fix this in the game is there are some folks that will use the arrow keys and instead of kind of holding down the arrow keys to move the character, like they kind of press it really fast, like with their fingers right. to like make their character move. And it's like, dang it. Like I didn't, I did not explain to you how this works. And like, I feel bad that I did not explain to you how this works. So I knew uh, how to get there. So I was okay with that. <laughs> no, okay. Well, that's I'm good. not one of those. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, and I, and I think like there are good exemplars of this that like, Video games are not for a certain type of person if they are designed thoughtfully. Like, I think the inspiration that I take is like games like Pokemon or Animal Crossing or, you know, not quite Candy Crush, but like the, like there's certainly like a 
set of experiences that provides things for people of all different persuasions to, to have a good time in the same experience. Um, and I want Tulane Quest to be that kind of experience as well. I think it has a, for me, it has the, the right amount of storyline with not too much storyline. Does that make sense that I'm still, I'm still engaged with the code for me. I know Sean's a big gamer. I'm not a, I'm not a big gamer. I, I just like to get to the code and, and get going. And it was, mm-hmm. it was quite intuitive. I love the feature uh, where I had to talk to, I guess, my robot friend, and it kept saying, do you want to you know, end conversation or ask another question? I was like, ask another question, <laughs> ask another question. So yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's engaging, I'm, especially, again, for, for a relatively new coder and a person, a, a person who I've been coding for a year and a half and not a, not a gamer. It, it takes you through the right amount of pace. And I, I kept going back for more, so it's good. <laughs> so we're going to try it out with some of our other kids. Awesome. And yeah, and that's like an audience that we test with a lot and we care about a lot is people that are like not video game or they wouldn't describe themselves as video game people. But if the experience remains accessible, like even folks, like anybody with an open mind should be able to kind of come and have a good time, hopefully. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We've we've really enjoyed it. So we've tried it. Both Kelly, Kelly and I have worked through you know quite a few of the levels now. We've introduced it with our middle school students, and some of them have thought this is the greatest thing ever, like leaned forward and gotten into it. Others have said, well, you know, it certainly beats reading through a bunch of code and just typing it out. So I'll do that too, right? Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of really great engagement with it, and that's been one of the things that's been really gratifying to see for us is just it gives us as teachers another tool that we can use and it lets us grow like that that slope from learning the basics into learning useful you know techniques and and skills is really nice because it goes straight from I can write some basic code to okay now I can use web services I can consume APIs over the internet and that's not really that hard like I can make that jump from working on my computer locally to working in the cloud and working with services that are not located right here. So we're really excited about it. It was a a great find and and I'm really thankful for the introduction to be able to start using it as a teacher. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I hope you'll, you know, continue to provide a steady stream of feedback about what's working and not working with that uh, audience. Cause like the, the hope is that being, being from Minnesota, the, you know, the Minnesota educational computing corporation is legendary and the, uh, I, I hope, like the the thing that I hope for uh, is that you know, Julia Quest becomes like the number munchers or the Oregon Trail of code and has a similar oh, place in the. Do not say Oregon the... Trail to this man over here, please. Do not. <laughs> is that so? Get us on another so Kelly's <laughs> Kelly's laughing because we do we have this thing in our classroom we call Fun Friday, and it's just a way for students to engage with computer science in a way that's less about learning the code or trying to accomplish a specific objective and more about exploring all the interesting things that computing and computer science has to offer. And so oftentimes I have a student who will come up to me and say, I don't want to know what I want to do. And I look around my classroom where we have like all these amazing things like robots and VR and everything and they're bored, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) how can you be bored? And so I say, have you ever heard of a game called Oregon Trail? And they say no. And I say, well, it's amazing because you can actually emulate it in your browser now. Like you can just go online and fire up a classic copy of Oregon Trail. And we've had this little 
kind of renaissance of Oregon Trail being played around our middle school where <laughs> kids are are competing and they've got their little factions. They're like, you know, bankers for life or, you know, farmers <laughs> farmers are the best. And so it's been really cool. I, you know, that whole, you know, like you said, the Minnesota Educational Computing Co- Corporation is something that was a big part of my formative years as a student. And one of the things that deepened my love for computing and computer science And it's amazing how well those programs still hold up, even in emulation, because it's easy for the students, easier for the students to see things like a loop, like a loop in Oregon Trail is one day that has passed. And on that iteration, certain things happen, certain actions happen. There's a random randomizer, things like that. They can see that in Oregon Trail, whereas if they go to a video game where it's running you know, all these different background processes and the and the engine is running, you know, dozens or thousands of times a second, they actually can see it in Oregon Trail 35 years later from where we started. And it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, no, it, it definitely holds up um, better than you would, uh, better than you would imagine. And yeah, there's stuff that I still remember only today because like I was exposed to it in like Carmen, San Diego, right? Like I know, the capitals of various, you know, countries as a result. It's weird how, and, and not necessarily weird, there's been a lot of, you know, studies on why this is the case, but like learning through play lodges information in your brain in a way that is special. So um, Absolutely. We, we firmly believe in, in play to learn philosophy. We do that a lot. It's, yeah. uh, it's one of our things. You should check out, um, as I'm staring at all of our Kano we might have to bring them down again and we'll put Cano computing against Twilio and we'll see, we'll see the adult <laughs> version against the child version. But the the one thing that Cano has on top of Twilio or I'm going to say better than Twilio is it has Minecraft. So <laughs> that always pulls them in. Oh, I can play Minecraft on Cano. I'm like, yeah, you can play it on your computer too. What is the, what is the difference? <laughs> yeah, but it's, could- a, it's, create some Minecraft inception within the Twilio game. You could, we could just sneakily launch Minecraft like in another window. And then I, maybe we can text to people in Minecraft text with the zombies and um, other people in other um, cities. Yeah, I actually, uh, I wrote a blog post many years ago about how to administer a Minecraft server over SMS. So like, <laughs> I had one set up for my kids to use um, and I could text in to like make it nighttime or like mess with them in other, in other ways. So. You'll have to share that. We'll put it in our show notes. Yes, yeah, so would be pretty cool. <laughs> I have big. We have big uh, Minecraft fans here. Well, Kevin, we're gonna probably have to wrap up here because we're running out of time. But we do want to say thank you for furthering, you know, education through play and making Twilio Quest available to you know to our students and to other students. Well, you can find it on Twilio.com/quest, right? Yep, uh, that's right. Yep, uh, downloadable for Mac, Windows, and PC. Um, and yep, it's totally free. Uh, if you want to do Twilio stuff in there, you can, um, but it doesn't require signups or, uh, logins or things like that. The Twilio API does require a signup, but you can learn Python or JavaScript or open source contribution just by downloading the game and playing it and hopefully having a good time. Yeah, it's free to play. Works, um, works great. We've had it running on every, you know, Windows and, and Mac. We've had it running on everything from a low-end MacBook Air all the way up through the latest MacBook Pros, and it works pretty well. So thank you for, for putting that out there for us. We've been really enjoying it, and we're going to keep playing. Absolutely. Mine's awesome. actually on mute right now, so it's been running in the background the whole time. <laughs> She's been <laughs> knocking out a few, a few missions. Trying to get through and collect some more uh, notes about... <laughs> 
Van Possum. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, be- best of luck. Don't, don't get lost um, in the team. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank course. you, Kevin. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. And so for Teaching Python, this is Sean. This is Kelly. Signing off. Thank you.